Welcome to Savvy Saturday, where we hope through real talk and business savvy, we help you become a little more comfortable, a little more confident, and a little more savvy in building your business. Look, we're just three women from different backgrounds who recognize the gap between wellness strategies and business practices. We're your hosts. I'm Nat. And I'm Hilda. And I'm Sarah. Good morning and welcome to Savvy Saturdays with Savvy Sector. How are you guys doing today? I'm good. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. So, Nat, you shared a story before we got on about a Cheez-Its debacle. Would you like to share that <laughs> with our listeners? <laughs> I do not, but I will. <laughs> so, on my way, on my way to, to our recording this morning, I am getting all the kids their snacks so they can leave me alone. And I think that my six-year-old is mature enough and smart enough and awesome enough to pour his two-year-old sister a snack. And as he starts pouring the Cheez-Its into the bowl, it overflows, slips out of his hand, and there's Cheez-Its everywhere. Cheez-Its everywhere. (laughs) Cheez-Its everywhere. And then everyone knows at the bottom of a Cheez-Its bag are all the crumbs. So those are everywhere as well. And so then, yep. And so then I sit there with the broom and I'm just like trying to rush it all the way up and then um, all the other adults in my house just kind of look at me versus helping. So (laughs) it was awesome. You know, fun times, fun times. Super super fun because I think the reaction was, why did you give the Cheez-Its box to the six-year-old? So it became You know, it's funny you say that because I feel like that happens to me so often. I feel like there are times when he can be so mature and Micah can be so mature that I'm like, you can handle this. And so I give him responsibilities that I think that he would be able to handle. And then he, you know, is not able to. And he's kind of looking at me like, well, why'd you ask me to do that? I'm like, but well, my, because I forgot to it's, it's, yeah, But it's also, but you know what it is? It's because they've done it before. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's like when I have not asked you to do it, you've done it. So now that I need you to do it, I expect for you to do it well. And that's just not how life works. So, Exactly. Yeah, super but fun. I think this so. sets us up for our topic for today about company culture. Because I think that, like family culture, it's a, it's a situation where, us at, like for us as business owners, we set the president for the company culture. And like as moms, we set, I think, the president for the family culture and there are things like that that I feel are you know normal or or expected in my mind and they're just not capable of doing it so I have this reset my expectations as to what yeah. the um, norm is going to be for the house so that, I don't I know think if that, that or not, but it just reminded me of what we were going to be talking about today yeah no it's a it's definitely a segue because I think you know, whether people want to admit it or not, I think mothers and women in general are the backbones of the communities, of their families, and really the ones who set the the tone. And that's exactly what company culture is. Like, in my opinion, it starts at the top, right? If it's a priority to the organization, it has to be a priority to the day-to-day leaders. It has to be a priority to the CEO. It has to be a priority to the owner because they're the ones that 
set what the business objectives are, what the financial goals are, and with that, they should be setting what the cultural standard is within a company. Because if you don't have that that measurement tied to it or the KPI, the key performance indicator tied to what company culture is, then no one's going to follow it because it's something that, quote unquote, doesn't matter. I agree. I think it's this age old, you know, do as I say and not as I do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, you know, have to flip that and definitely do as I do. Um, you're, you're watched so much, I think, in all aspects. And I'm, I'm going to speak in both in business and in family, that they're picking up everything that you do and say. And it has happened to me in the past where, you know, someone will have responded in a way to a situation that I may not have um, responded in that way or or something Mm -hmm. that I would have said, well, why didn't you just, you know, agree to that or or anything like that? Like you you should have just given the, you know, the customer the the refund that they that they were looking for just to Mm -hmm. appease them. And the response was, well, there was that one time where we didn't do that, Mm -hmm. where where we needed, you know, we needed to stand our ground kind of thing. And to me, it was sort of an innocent, like, situation that sort of came and went. But to them, it sort of ma- it marked the culture. And mm-hmm. in that moment, I realized, you know, I, everything I'm doing is being watched. And I, I need to be super sensitive and, and hyper alert to everything I say and do because they're, they're taking it as that's the standard. So, like, how, how have you guys created that culture now? Like, how do you maintain a healthy culture within the businesses that you're building? I, go ahead. Yeah, for me, I think, so I'll start from when we first took over this business. It was something that was really not in line with who I was as a person in the way that the business was being run because the business was run as a, uh, you know, uh, I guess as, like, the the textbook way to run a business. You know, mm-hmm. if you're late, you get docked. If you're mm-hmm. if you're out, you get docked. You know, like how things you were just sort of done back in the day where it was very um, by the book and there was no room for for humanity, I guess, or, or for peopleness. Like her, if you had to be out, okay, you could be out, but you're going to get docked time, time type of thing. Mm-hmm. And when I started, it was something that I didn't know business culture. I never worked in corporate. So like I, I didn't understand it. And I just knew that it didn't sit well with me. I I, mm-hmm. I didn't agree with it. You know, I'd be like, well, maybe the daughter is sick. You know, maybe something is going on mm-hmm. where the management at the time, which, um, you know, our father had other people in managing positions felt, well, they're going to take advantage if we give them this one break. They're going to take that and run with it, you know. And because that was just the way things were done, I sort of went along with it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess this is what we're going to do. This is the way things are done. And it wasn't until I went to a program in um, Stanford. in Stanford where they sort of, that was the, the crux of the entire program was about company culture and how treating your employees as the most important people in the entire um, organization is the way for to scale and to, to scale successfully, that that really rang true with how I felt that I wanted to run the business. And I was like, no, like you need to give people grace and you need to give people space. And I feel that they will not take advantage. And the ones who do then will make it very easy to weed out the ones who don't belong on the team, you know? So from then on, I sort of just 
switched it and started to do things the way that I wanted to do them. And, and by what I mean by I is like the way that I would like to be treated. So mm. when someone came to me with anything, whatever it was, I would put myself in their position and just say, well, how would I want to have somebody respond to me in this situation? Um, and so I just responded like that. And that's kind of been how we do things. We it's sort of just, yeah been a lot of empathy in our leadership and just kind of like servant leadership and thinking about that and creating the company culture. And just for those listening, the Stanford program that we went through through our company is called Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Initiative. It's SLAY. They take cohorts of businesses every year and they have really interesting research about um, the state of Latino entrepreneurship. I encourage you guys to check it out. We'll add it into the show notes um, because you could always apply. And we learned a lot through that. Uh, so that was definitely one of the things for creating cultures, understanding the empathy points. And that's also what I've learned in the best, when I think about when I've experienced company culture, I've experienced it through a lot of startup work, um, Mm -hmm. working in a very small team, literally off of someone's couch and building that trust and building that empathy has been uh, a big thing because there was a lot of communication on the beginning when it was just me and my mentor at the time. You know, we had to have that level of trust and understanding that our company, even though it was two people and it was in her apartment, had a culture of its own that was really clear. And it was kind of like everybody does their job. They do it as best as they can. And it's like there's a lot of trust built in without and some and trust and autonomy, which is really big. I don't know yeah, if yeah. that's similar in other corporate cultures. Yeah, no, for sure. I think first off, let's just call it out empathy's become the buzzword of the like last five years it's like are you an empathetic leader are you an empathetic employee do you have an empathetic you know culture within the building but that just wasn't always the case right so hearing the word pop up now more often has been super weird in all honesty to date right because it's like in the beginning it was like IQ it was like how smart are you how many sales can you make how many relationships can you build can you increase the scope of work and that's what a lot of companies looked at in order to to score if you will what a great employee was it's like Mm -hmm. what are you doing for the company and it was less about what are you doing for the culture and now you're seeing that kind of shift happen where it's become more important um, to understand, like, what's this person's EQ, emotional, whatever Q means, someone fill in the blank. <laughs> but it's yeah. the, the IQ Quotient, instead of... Quantitative. Oh, <laughs> thank The emotional you. intelligence that people are... Yes, for. thank you very much. But that's much what better. they're hiring for. That's what they're hiring for, but it's also what talent is looking for, right? Yeah. So, like, you'll find today, more and more so, the dollar is almost less important um, people are willing to have a lower salary to pick a to pick a, a a lateral move for something that feels more comfortable with what their belief system is. Um, the culture is super important because at the end of the day, whether whether it's in the world of Zoom where we're in right now or it is in person, you're spending so much time with these people, and people are paying so much more attention to the energy that they're receiving as well as what they're giving um, to the to the folks that they're around. They're around, so. It's super important. And what I've seen in a shift standpoint, and I think, Sarah, you you mentioned it earlier around like the way people are treated. People are starting to say like this person may be 
the top of the totem pole, as, as some people say, of the best salesman or woman. Um, they are the best relationship builder from a client standpoint. They are the most organized person, but they treat their, their staff like crap. And now that's yep. becoming something that's become a whole line item and a whole section within these employee reviews of like, how are they doing business-wise? wise how are they doing company wise and part of that company is culturally what are they doing to improve or to add to the culture that we're building and so i've seen more and more people are willing to have a less a plus or a type personality employee in benefit of the whole because that one person who is killing it at work from a business standpoint and from a dollar standpoint, but they're treating everyone like crap. It creates a culture that is so negative. Whereas at the top, you're thinking everything's fine because you're exceeding expectations. You're blowing through your business goals. You're in the green. And then your employees are like, the turnover is crazy, right? So like you're seeing people leaving before a year, within a year, whereas you want to maintain, you're, you're taking time and energy and emotion to like grow talent. And if that talent keeps turning over, it's really expensive. So it's like, what what's happening? And then when you realize that that senior leadership or that mid-level talent is creating a culture that is opposite of what you're doing, that's when, again, we go back to why it starts at the top. That's when you realize, hey, there's a huge disconnect because what I'm experiencing and what I'm hearing from that that senior level, the person who has access to me, is super different than what the person who joined the company three months ago at a junior level is experiencing. So it's mm-hmm. it's definitely something that is a 360 experience more and more today. And I think that what you guys are saying is right. It's like empathy is has become like the number one thing in in not only creating a relationship with the employee, but creating a culture that people actually want to, to join and like grow into. Yeah. And as you were speaking, I, I looked up what emotional intelligence is. And according to the Harvard Business um, Review, the four components of emotional intelligence are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And I think that, you know, that buzzword, how you say emotional intelligence is passed around so much, but it's so important, not only because of how you make people feel and the culture, but it's because it's something that can't be taught. So anyone can come into our um, company and we can teach them to use the systems. We can teach them about the products. We can teach them to speak in a certain way and to, you know, say a script. But we can't teach them to be self-aware. We can't Mm -hmm. teach them to do their work on their own time, you know, or to be aware of how what they're saying is, you know, affecting someone in, in the way that they're saying it or how to manage their relationships because that's something that we deal with so often with having to manage, you know, a team of 20 and most of us are women um, and not to say that in a, in a negative way, but there are a lot of times where there's a lot of conflict in between the team itself and Mm. we have to, you know, encourage them to resolve it on their own in, in a way that is amicable, but in a way that actually resolves it. Because I think that when you have that um, pent up uh, sort of like, anger or resentment towards your your teammate or someone who you're working closely with, 
it shows in the work because mm-hmm. you you can't you know like you can't work together properly so you you can't be effective in in the deliverable you know so at the end of the day it affects your bottom line as a business owner because your team yeah. is being effective right um and because of only that because they also work with you yeah. <laughs> you want to work with people you like you know we've mm-hmm. gotten rid of talent that has been you know exceptional on the books because of that, because they can't work well with the team. Yeah. yeah, and if you can't work well with the team, then you're not building more people that are exceptional, and that's the biggest thing. It's like you want a bunch of people who want to grow together and that mm-hmm. have a belief in that mission of the company, but then also a shared a shared want for group success. Like when everyone succeeds, the company succeeds. If everyone's happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Yes. The hippie, Sorry. the hippie, to the hip, hip, hop. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but it's like when everyone's feeling good, then they move forward. So it, it, it really comes down to like you have to be committed to success, right? So, so I was reading this Forbes article, and they were talking through like why does culture fail um, within companies, and it came down to three things: one, that leaders lack commitment. So to the top half of our our conversation of like this has to start at the top. Um, so it's not just about like, Hey, we're giving out t-shirts for our anniversary and throwing big parties and, you know, having an open, an open bar tab. It's like, those things are nice in the moment, Mm -hmm. but how does that then transcend into the day to day? Like, are your employees feeling heard? Do they feel like they have access to leadership? Is there a growth plan? Is there someone looking out for them and, and trusting their work and their value in a way that other companies Mm -hmm. don't? The second was that the culture change never translates to performance. So a lot of people feel that when it comes down to how well they're doing at work, it's only based on the numbers, but that's just not the case. It has to be the way that people feel they're contributing to the workplace environment and that they're building a company that they want to live in and that it's, you know, staying present with the times, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then the third was that it lacks distinction and flexibility. So like the fact that you guys took over a company that, you know, at the time made a lot of sense, like you check in, you check out, um, and you were able to transition into what is modern day. Now there is a huge sense of flexibility. I think, especially with the pandemic, it has shown like you have to trust that people are going to do their work from home. Exactly. Um, you don't have to be in an office, right? It's like those, those things of being flexible that people are humans. I think you mentioned humanity earlier. Like that's so critical in the workplace because it's like, I have to feel like I'm not a number. And the Would moment I feel like I'm a number, it's a problem. Yeah, which is so interesting because there is, I think the pandemic gave us a really interesting shift of thought as business owners, not just us, but like in the collective of letting that trust happen because massive companies like massive tech companies, I will say, just massive digital media platforms that you use to search things on, for example, like uh google or facebook (laughs) and like these kinds of companies they they were built like i have friends like they never had to buy a meal in their life because they would just go to the campus and they were survive they would do your laundry on site they made it real cushy so you never left and we're working right and that was all these perks um but of course it's a it's a massive company with like thousands and thousands of employees 
how do you keep that company culture set up? It's not just you doing laundry, right? And how yeah. does and the interesting part for us and what I see for my friends who are starting companies and startup culture is how do you compete, right, to get that kind of talent that is that when you don't have access to these perks. So when you don't have access to these perks, that's where you really have to tap into creating a good culture because you want people to stay around and you want them to be there for growing your company so that way in the future and you can do these perks, mm-hmm. they're there, right? Yeah. Um, but and also, I think like, that's always an interesting challenge. But let's be real, too. I think, like, the perks get you but so far. It's like a relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have a partner who cheats on you every single day of the week but then buys you Tiffany and the latest bag and whatever, you know, whatever whatever is being tossed out in a Cardi B rap these days, right? <laughs> of, like, the latest Balenciaga or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, <laughs> like, if this person's keeping you on trend and dressed to the nines, but then treats you like crap yeah. through how they're treating you emotionally, it really doesn't matter. So, like, the same way you have people who are like, oh, my gosh, I never have to buy a meal again, after a while, you're like, I don't care. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't care. No, Where's my raise? Where's that my that, promotion? Exactly. Yeah. No, and that also translates. I think it's so um, evident in how they treat the customer, which I think mm-hmm. really affects your bottom line, right? So I think when you go to a company or a service and the person who's treating you like the front desk person or something like that is very, you know dismissive and it's like okay whatever you know here this is what it is just sign in as opposed to you know we're going to do whatever we can to help you we're we're going to get this resolved that is an immediate or or an um a distinct reflection of how they're being treated you know Mm -hmm. like you can for me I can automatically tell if that person is like happy or a disgruntled employee with how they treat the customer it's like you must not be treated well here and you're you're just here because you know you don't have another option or 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 whatever you don't want to be here and you're very unhappy and it's showing and and you lose customers that way you know because and for me it's like the airlines when we I we travel JetBlue a lot and I feel like they have excellent um company culture even though I've never been in the inner workings of how they do anything it's just a, um, how they treat the customer, you know, like the front desk person is always willing to help, is always apologetic, is always, you know, on the customer side where sometimes we've traveled other airlines and it's just like, you guys, you don't, you don't care. American Airlines is a perfect exactly. example. That's exactly what I was thinking about. American <laughs> Airlines and the fact that it's a shared, like it's a shared experience. I think you. I think airlines is such a perfect example because literally you touch people around the world and everyone has the same opinion about every airline, right? I literally Whereas go like, onto Twitter and just like look up the the horror stories that people are tweeting out. Yeah, that uh, I would happening. Which I think that that's did, a. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say the most hated industries are the airline industries and the telecoms communications industry. Oh yeah. For so sure. like everyone has the same experience with. The Verizon of the world, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Like, mm-hmm. pick, pick anybody on the street, ask them about their service, and that tells you about the company. Exactly. No, but I think that um, Hilda touched on something that was great, the Twitter, because I feel with social media, we have become so interconnected and so exposed to who you truly are, mm-hmm. right? Which has... Um, 
you know, people view it as, oh, it changes people. But as many have said, and I agree, it really just exposes who you really are. And I think that it, it that has helped also shift the culture because for businesses, yeah. where you may have gotten away before in the past with putting a facade of we are, the, you know, amazing, but the employees are being mistreated and no one ever knew about it. Now the employees have the ability to sort of expose you and tell the world that this is not what the what it is here, you know? And yeah. It's, Just it's forcing a shift. Yeah, for sure. Media in general is such a good way to see what's happening. Uh, yeah. Which, of course, excuse, but let's have that little asterisk, certain media share certain things and all of this stuff. But when, when as a business owner, and as a business owner that wants to scale or a corporate company that's really trying to take hold in a certain sector, that's so important to... Be wary about how your employees are treating your customers because it is going to get out there for sure. Yeah, cancel culture is real. Cancel culture is super real. That's a real thing, and I think I'm all for it. I'm all all for it. I think that it's important for people to know what they're dealing with. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, as a customer, I don't want to support someone who's mistreating their employees. Absolutely. Yeah, and then I think they're super... There's great examples of how cancel culture has actually benefited companies and has allowed a a straight and like front row seat to the reactions of companies and actually turns people who are ready to like just push you aside or not buy your product anymore to people who then become brand loyalists. Because I think you, Sarah, you said it. It's like, how do they treat their people? How do they treat their end customer and how it all comes to light? Right. Because you're if we were in a room and in front of an audience, I'd say, raise your hand if you've been on holds with a customer service representative for more than 30 minutes. Oh, my God. Right? And everybody would raise their hand. And it's like such a waste of time. It's like a, such a, a time suck. Right? And before, that would happen constantly. And no one would ever, like, get called out for it. It became just, like, the norm of bad service. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, I like all the channels I get. But I know I, I, I just pray to not have an issue because then I'm going to have four days yeah. of one hour holds and, and then something will get resolved. And now through Twitter and through other platforms, you're able to like literally do the play by play. Nothing's better than the long thread of like, and this is what happened. And then a lot of times, again, the people at the top don't see those conversations. But because it's now in social media, it more quickly gets to um to that CEO who's following the hashtag or following the company Absolutely. channels. And then they're able to say like, this is something that there, there's a trend here of what's happening. Maybe I have to go back to that handbook, to that playbook and reset how people are treating employees or handling certain situations. Um, but in the reverse, there's a lot of things that happen in cancel culture that I think are interesting and that give that preview. So one that I, that, that comes top of mind because she's a mega star in her own right, but it's Kim Kardashian. Mm-hmm. And when she came out with with her skims and it was formally named the kimono, mm-hmm. and right away there was backlash all over the internet, right? Everyone was like, what? Like cultural appropriation? You know, they get hit hard on that. And everyone was like whiplashing back and forth because it was genius for her to come out with that line and it made sense and she was credible within the space it was the naming that was wrong and then almost immediately she pulled it down she apologized she spoke about the process of having to like almost by hand remove the 
the the tags from it in order to change the name. And in one of the few moments, I would say that the Kardashians just stepped in front and said, I apologize. I was wrong. Now I've fixed it. And then everyone now wears skims the same way that they would wear, you know, the latest bra. So it's like there's a way to to not only use cancel culture to to have one to ones, but also to put your face forward and say you are right. And the customer is right in this case. And this is how we're going to change it at scale. And I think when the leadership comes to the forefront within that space, it makes a really big impact because it shows accountability and it shows that we're here to correct it and to keep the feedback loop going. Yeah. Totally. I think it all goes back to what we said when we started, that you're being watched. You're always being watched. Mm-hmm. And I think that the sooner we all behave as is like you're you're being watched at all times and it, and to behave in a way that you won't feel uncomfortable if this comes back to you, then the sooner we'll be like in a better place, you know, like just, just act the way you would in a way, you know, act in a way that if someone comes back and addresses it with you later, you'll feel like you'll feel okay with it. You're not going to feel like, oh God, somebody saw that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think if we go back and to our little segment of the savvy takeaways that we're talking about and we like to mention is definitely act act the part and all of that. Um, and I think something that I wanted to mention and, and before it escapes me is one of the things that we do or I like to do and want to continue doing, I feel like a lot of companies don't do this and it's this experience from hearing from my peers is that with that roadmap, with that playbook, it's not just only for the leadership and for the company so that way we can like save face and PR or whatever and, and save the product that we're trying to launch is how do you create a company playbook and a career playbook for your employees? <clears throat> because I think that's so important, especially if it's a small company, you're just your first, you, you're your own founder, you have maybe your first hire. How are you encouraging that employee to help your company grow, but you're helping them grow professionally? Because let's be real, nobody, especially in this day and age, stays more than two years at a company. And we approach our employees, um, especially if they start like with my marketing team, uh, all the professional developments I send them on or share or they send to me that they want to do is for sure that's going to help my company. But if they're really interested in marketing and wanting to continue in that a career trajectory they're they're set um to either hopefully when we grow we can give them like bigger positions bigger responsibility but if not if they go to another company they're prepared especially because i think and really believe since our company is majority latinas and like they might not be getting access to this in other ways so it's our responsibility to train them not only for our company but also to strive in a workforce overall um and that I feel like really resonates to them because it does build that trust. It's like you are invested in me, um, not only in a self-interest kind of way, you're invested in me because you want me to make money for you. It's I'm invested in you because as a human, you have the right and deserve the right to this kind of education and kind of this career growth that you want to have. Because like, for example, we have we have someone, our general manager, who's amazing. She really wants to open up a bakery at some point in her life, it's like career cue, right? We all have our little hustles that we want to do. And she has been dreaming about this. And we talk about it. We're like, yeah, this is how you would do it. If you ever need help, we want to help you like guide you. And like, this is how you open up a C-Corp process and all of these things. And I think that's important because they will want to help you out even more. It's a, it's a reciprocal situation. Yeah. And I think that ties into the whole, just one of the biggest questions that, that you should be able to answer as an entrepreneur who's opening a business or even a, a 
a business owner in general, if it doesn't exist, is like, what is work-life balance at this company? And like being able to say like, we do your job, yes, but we also will encourage and empower you to find your dreams, whether that dream is to be at home more or to open a side Mm -hmm. hustle business and turn it into a main hustle. Like it's super important to like lay those things out and manage those expectations. Um, And that's something that actually should be written in a handbook to your point, Hilda, because people want to know that they're encouraged and that, you know, while I'm here and I want to make sure that your goal as, you know, boss, owner, entrepreneur, or, you know, the head at the front of this company, my job is to make sure that you're reaching your goals, but your goals might not be my goals in the long term. And that should be okay. I think there's a lot of people out there who feel like if you work for me, that this is your number one priority. And I think that they need to get a, a, a for real gut check because, it's your company, not the employees. Yeah. No one's so going to care need- about this like how we do, and they shouldn't have to. And yeah. it's no, I completely uh, second that. And I think that when you do that, when when someone can be honest and transparent with everything that's going on in their lives, in terms of you know things that are relevant to work, they are better people for it. They're better employees for it. They're better team members for it, and. You know, they're going to give you 110% because they they are able to be honest. Mm-hmm. When when someone can't be honest, you have to hold back because There's you're fear. not being honest. There's a fear mm-hmm. that I may lose my job. There's a fear that, um, you know, so I, I'm going to be retaliated on for whatever reason. So mm-hmm. I think that that's important. I think it's important to treat your your employees like what they are, which is team members. Like, you need them mm-hmm. to grow and the more that you offer to them, the more they'll be able to give back. And if they, if you are just a stepping stone, which I think that in, in a lot of small businesses, we are stepping stones for people, you know, embrace that, embrace Mm -hmm. that, that ability to, to help someone grow, to help someone Mm -hmm. get to the next level. And they're helping you. Yeah. They're helping you and everything that you've done for that person is going to like be easier translated to the next person that's going to come and fulfill that role. If you're able to do that in a way that Mm -hmm. is effective or in a way that is, um, you know, uh, to the best of like to the best of their ability, because they're not going to be holding back. You know, they're not going to be like, you know, well, I'm not going to tell you everything I know because I actually learned this for my side hustle or mm-hmm. whatever, or I don't have access mm-hmm. to these things anymore. Or I took the access because, you know, th- there's so much that you can do to sort of steal digital content or whatever the case yeah. that if, if it's not an, an encouraged open space, then I'm going to do what I got to do to benefit me. That mm-hmm. That's just human nature, you know? A hundred percent. And I think it comes down to the, that old saying, like, don't, don't burn the bridge. Yeah. Right. Because that person that's using you as a stepping stone might end up be the person might end up being the person that two years down the line wants to do a partnership with you. Exactly. Wants to wants to use your they they might go. I know that with the company you guys own, you know, Salud, you guys do wellness and and health products and beauty and all those types of things. That person might spin off and say, I want to have a hair salon. Let me get that my oil and put it on display. Exactly. Right. They might they might go off and ends up with a whole building because they've decided that they want to have a shared office space and say, Hey, in that kitchen, let me get that moringa tea. Right. Like I feel like there's always an opportunity. Yeah. And in your case, I know personally that there's been situations where you've left 
um, companies and where you leave in a good place and you refer business back to them where you were. Oh, a hundred percent, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, there's always- a, a thousand percent because it, there's always it, what goes around comes around. And it's like that old saying you heard from your parents, treat people the way you want to be treated. And then the thing that we like to say, and it's become slang in many ways, but the definition still holds true is like tar- karma is a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm telling you, it swings back harder than a you know what. So I think people need to just be be careful, and and it all goes back to like treating people like people. So um, I think one takeaway for those who are like now really inspired, I hope, and are like, oh gosh, I gotta I gotta get on that handbook. What? Do, how do I you know write down my thoughts and figure out like what does culture mean to me as a business owner or what should it mean to the company that I'm building? There's a few public ones that do exist and we could throw these in the show notes as well. Netflix, which y'all know Netflix has grown tremendously yeah. mm-hmm. over the last and has kept I want to I want to <laughs> say, say the last decade, but I feel like over the even the last like year it's been insane. Um and one thing that they've done which I think is fantastic and a great resource to those listening is they've put their employee handbook on record, right? You can mm. find it. it is open. Um take a look at it, use it as a base. It's an open source exactly. Um and so has Basecamp. So those are two examples of companies that like show their cards right away. And I think the reason why they do it is one, it draws great talent to them. It holds them accountable and it kind of flips its head on cancel culture because it's like, hold us. They're like, hold us accountable. Like, come for me because I'm telling you openly this is who we are. So I think those are great um, resources for you guys to take a look at. Um, I'm a big believer in finding something and using it as a guidance uh, and then making it your own. And then within that, you'll find there's a lot of questions that you know, get answered that I believe that every, everyone building a business should ask themselves. We spoke about one earlier of like, what does work-life balance mean here? You heard um, both Hilda and Sarah speak to like, what and how do you characterize your, your overall management style? How do you treat your employees? Um, You know, there's a lot of things that, and maybe we just put some questions in the show notes too, of like, here are the five questions you should ask yourself. Right. And it speaks to, you know, how do you recognize your employees' efforts, right? How do you give them praise? But then also, like, how do you react to their failures and when they make mistakes? Like, people have to feel like there's a trust um, between the company heads all the way straight down to those who are just joining. So I think one great way to approach that outside of looking at the resources is think about the questions that you would ask someone in an interview, and then flip it on its head. How would you answer them when they're asked to you? And that helps yeah. build out like who you are as a company and what that that company culture is and what that means. Um, yeah, in that yeah. day. And I, I would go one step further and have the courage to anonymously, anonymously, s- anonymously survey your employees <laughs> with those questions and have them answer you because what you may think uh, is totally. happening may not be happening at all, mm-hmm. and. As owners, I think, you know, you may be afraid to know the truth. You may not want to hear it, mm-hmm. um, but ask the question because the sooner you, you know there's a problem, the sooner you'll be able to fix it. So. Totally. Yeah, and I, no, I think that's actually really good because, like, even if you have 10 people or less in your company, if those 10 people come back with 10 different answers, that tells you you're not doing your job. 
mm-hmm. you have not right. laid it out in in not only in what you're saying or in the actions that you're doing. So mm-hmm. um, you're gonna definitely it's gonna suffer. Your company is gonna suffer immediately. That's not remedy for sure. And I know Sarah, you wanted to share another resource. I did. So from um, the program that we did, the book that we were told to read was Scaling Up Excellence by Huggy Rao, and that book is really just. Uh, for for me, it was like the uh, a light in the path. So if you have the time, you know, it's on audiobook or you can, you know, buy the book. I am in nowhere related, but I definitely think that that book is, it, it speaks about great companies like Netflix and how they're doing it and how you can mm-hmm. you model that in your company. So um, yeah, pick it up, read it. It, it will It will be a big change and a a significant one, I think. Yeah. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. What I was saying was the word of the day was culture. For those who didn't catch on to what the theme of this entire um, podcast episode was. And so the definition is the customs, arts, social institutions and achievements of a particular nation, people or other social group. That's your Webster Dictionary definition. But I think you can get it. It's exactly what a company should rest its heels on and ensure that they're delivering out in the day in and day out of how they build, but then also how they execute their company. thousand percent. Love it. thousand percent. Also, I love our word of the day because I've been around toddlers and it's something they do at circle time. (laughs) And that's how they learn things. And I love having this approach. Yeah, no, I think, (laughs) I think it's a, it's a great learning tool. And if adults acted more like children, I think we would be in a different place. Well, I guess Ooh, that's a whole other podcast I want to do. That's a, well, I mean, with context, with context, with context, of course, not just <laughs> not not spilling the cheese. It's all over the floor. Let me reiterate: <laughs> do not spill cheese. It's all over the floor. So, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure to Have follow us on week. Instagram at yes. Savvy Sector. We'll see you next time, you guys. Stay savvy. Bye. Bye. Bye.